from WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, Andre Norrell speaks to Ohio University leaders about their plan to address recent incidents directed at black students and with students about what changes they want to see. And Fallon Howard checks in with Beacon School and their summer camp for people with developmental disabilities. And the senior class at WUB says their goodbyes before they go on to bigger and better things. These stories and more, right here, on The Outlet. Many students at Ohio University spoke out after a garbage bag including two racist slurs and a derogatory word aimed at women was left near the dorm of a black female, and a white student urinated on the door of a black resident assistant. Conversations between students and administrators about how to prevent future incidents aimed at black students continue. WUB reporter Andre Norrells talks to Ohio University's diversity and inclusion leaders about what they're doing to provide a more inclusive environment and what students want to see. Four black Ohio University students spoke at a recent Board of Trustees meeting where there was discussion about the recent racial incidents. OU Senate President Dana Shoulders helped put the group together. It's kind of crazy, you know, and it happened all within a week. Less than that, less than that, a couple days, and we're sitting in meetings with, you know, like deans and VPs and stuff. They had a goal to tell the board their experiences being black on campus and what they want to see from the university. I think we did a really good job doing that as well. Were you guys nervous or really excited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What were you nervous about? It's, It's a important group of people. They're really important, you know. Freshman Gia Harper was one of the students to speak at the meeting. And they just kept telling us about how this is the first time the president's ever given up time to students, and this is just mm-hmm. monumental, and this never happens. So, like, no pressure. You, no pressure, yeah. mm-hmm. no pressure, but you guys are the first to do it. And, like, mm-hmm. when it's something so sensitive and we care about so much, right. how can you not be nervous? Right, because we knew that we were representing more than just ourselves, and I think that was also the pressure, because we didn't want to say anything that would be against what, you know, the majority of students felt. So what we did was share our stories, and that's all we could really do. Mm -hmm. College of Business student Jasmine Glass shared an experience she had with one of her professors. Glass says the professor was doing a presentation about what it means to be professional in the workplace. One slide gave examples of what is considered traditionally unprofessional. And on that slide, one of the bullet points said African-American hair, specifically females. And another bullet point said Asian-American names, as in like they're hard to pronounce for most people in this country. Um, and I'm both part of both communities. So in that moment, I just didn't even know like what to do with that. And then when we got to the bullet point, the professor asked me in the middle of the class if I could be an example. And just to be singled out in front of like my mostly white peers for not a positive thing was not a good experience for me at all. Ohio University football running back Julian Ross shared an experience he had with a few white men, calling him the N-word while getting out of practice. A truck just kind of drives by and I just hear the hard R like twice, two, three times. And they, that was like a complete shock to me. During the Board of Trustees meeting, President Hugh Sherman announced they were hiring a national expert to review the university's racial climate and practices. At a recent town hall, multiple students mentioned they didn't want the university to hire a consultant, but some believe it's a good idea. Honestly, what I had thought was like, that's probably the best possible option is to go third party with it and not someone that's actually already in the university or part of the department. I think it's great that they want to go to somebody whose job it actually is 
to look at policies. Ohio University hosts different trainings for students, but most of them require students to take initiative. Executive Director of Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. Dwayne Bruce, says it can be difficult to reach all students. That's our biggest challenge, is like connecting with people who don't know that they need to be connected to this stuff, right? Like it's it's the biggest programming challenge that we face across the institution, but particularly as it relates to conveying our values and expectations around diversity and inclusion, right? There are a lot of people who don't even know that they need to learn. Bruce says one of the ways the department tries to give students diversity training is through learning communities. Students at Ohio University are required to be a part of a learning community during their first year. They are paired with others in their major for support. Diversity and inclusion takes advantage of this opportunity. So we're using that as a conduit to make sure that all of our students have an understanding of our expectations as it relates to um, engaging respectfully across differences and um, gets an education on some basic language for our community around diversity, equity, and inclusion um, particularly. But some students say this training wasn't helpful in many communities. Glass says there was a discussion about microaggressions she reached out to friends in other communities to see how it went for them. Some of them replied that they didn't even do it. Like their professor just talked about homecoming all week and like that's what they did instead. Um, for me personally, during the video, my professor laughed at some of the things and it just made me feel mm -hmm. like it wasn't being taken seriously. Shoulders was an advocate for these trainings in the learning communities, but wasn't impressed with the execution. It was really frustrating. It's like, yes, I'm proud that we have it now but I am very upset because it wasn't done well. You know, it's like if we're gonna do something, it has to be done right, or it's not helpful, you know, and, and in this fact, it was hurtful to many people. Mm -hmm. Multiple students believe required diversity trainings should be given to faculty. Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. Gigi Sakubin, says more trainings will be offered to faculty. Part of that plan with external reviewers, there will be additional training for faculty and department heads, as well as leadership and hopefully that will extend to the Board of Trustees too, because I know they sound open to it. And so those trainings that um, that's happened already and are happening now, are those, have those been required? Well, that's something that we're gonna have to definitely look into. I just know, you know, whenever you say required, people kind of flip out about it. Because of protections faculty has in their contracts, it makes it difficult to require any trainings. But Sukubin believes there are ways faculty can feel committed to participating in diversity trainings. You know, when the president's saying that this is very important, then people will tend to go to those things, right? So I think that we have to move towards something that becomes more required. Sukubin also thinks if some faculty decide not to participate in diversity trainings, if that's taken in consideration during their evaluations, it can make a difference. I think there are multiple ways to go about it. And I think looking at, at some kind of required process, I think will be part of the conversation. Shoulders believes if students come together and show up in numbers and support required diversity trainings, it may help push the university to do it. When they ask me, well, you know, Dana, why do you think we need this so bad? Or why do you think it's worth the risk of, you know, putting ourselves in the place to get sued? But, you know, if students were to, you know, send their opinion and were like, look, we need diversity and inclusion training in the classroom, and then I can say in my meetings with administration, look, we have hundreds of students who think this is necessary. This is what we've done as a student senate, and we've made mandatory trainings for our student leaders. You should be making mandatory trainings for your leaders. 
and for the people who are, you know, dispersing information for your school. And then that's when we can make real change through using the things that we already have alongside the activism that occurs on our campus. You know, it, it has to be it has to be both. For the outlet, I'm Andre Norals. The Beacon School in Athens serves students with developmental disabilities all year round. Fallon Howard reports they're gearing up for an exciting summer camp that has been online for the past two years. Due to changes in the COVID environment, this year campers can look forward to a more interactive camping experience since last year's virtual camp. This year at Beacon Summer Camp, um, the campers can expect a lot of fun. We collaborate with a lot of community partners. Um, so they'll have a lot of um, typical camp activities, swimming, crafting, um, recreation. Community awareness and involvement is important to the Beacon School and is just what is needed for the school to thrive. Um, partnerships are a huge part of what we do with the County Board of Developmental Disabilities um, and camp is no different. Um, it's really important that we connect the campers um, with the community. The Athens County Board of Developmental Disability receives funds from a variety of sources through federal, state, and local dollars. The summer camp is specifically funded through our local dollars. Continued collaboration with kids on campus is what allows the summer camp to grow. So this is now the sixth year we've partnered with Kids on Campus. It is one of our strongest partnerships, and one that we value greatly. The Beacon School ensures the camp experience is safe by adjusting to current environmental concerns. Over the years, we've capped our uh, uh, camper enrollment at 50, um, and that was um, uh, pre-pandemic times. And that's a, uh, we do that so that we can maintain appropriate staff ratios. Uh, the past couple of years, we've dropped the cap to 40 just to um, have a safer ratio of students versus staff. And for one final time, WUB Sports Director Brian Kerp is joining me to talk baseball and softball. So, Brian, tell me, Eastern Michigan this past weekend, how was it? Yeah, so the Bobcats went up to Ypsilanti, Michigan. What a great name, by the way, for a city. Uh, they had a four-game set with the Eastern Michigan Eagles. You know, Eastern Michigan was ahead of Ohio in the standings as, you know, they were, as I mentioned last week, they were all fighting for a spot in the MAC tournament, which is next month. A uh, huge series for the Bobcats, and I will say it was a huge series win. They absolutely needed that. And something we've been talking about this whole uh, season is how good the offense is, and that was no difference. Uh, on Friday, they opened up the series with a nice 12-8 to win, and then they scored 12 more runs uh, front end of the twin bill on Saturday. And again, that was a seven-inning game. They scored 12 runs in seven innings, which is crazy. And to even better that, um, in the second game, which was seven innings, they scored 14 runs. So in the first three games, that was 38 runs, which is ridiculous for, you know, baseball in general. You don't really score that many, score that many runs in a single game a lot, but to let alone a whole series where they just absolutely, you know, destroy it. So, you know, absolutely good for the Bobcats. But, you know, the bats were humbled on Sunday, the series finale. They lost 3-1. to one. But, you know, in general, three or four games against – uh, Mac opponent where you kind of need to win these games to get your spot in the tournament. Uh, Bobcats now 10 and 10 because of, you know, a solid three or four from the Eagles. And how about the matchup with Moorhead? Yeah, so uh, one of the 
things about the MAC season is you get like a bye week for say, so you're not playing any teams in conference for a week. So the Bobcats decided, to, or not decided, they were scheduled to play Moorhead State uh, down in Kentucky. And, you know, I was talking with Craig Moore a little bit a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about some of these non-conference games, trying to get some of the younger arms in, you know, some younger guys in the lineup uh, just to get some reps. And, you know, again, offense was really good. Uh, they were up 12-4 to at one point in the eighth inning, but something that, we've seen a lot this season is uh, the pitching staff struggling and you know that could be from a bunch of different things the weather hasn't been good all year pretty much sometimes there's been good weather but uh, you know that's been an issue so the Bobcats ended up blowing an eight-run lead in one inning they ended up losing 13 to 12 to uh, Moorhead State Um, you know something I was talking with Craig Moore this week and he said that uh, you know pitching something they need to clean up if they want to play meaningful games in May um and I will say there are some good pitchers on that staff where if they're on, they are really darn good. So, you know, I have complete confidence that the arms will turn things around. And if the bats continue going the way they're going, uh, it could be a really dangerous team heading into May. And, you know, who knows if we'll be seeing them up in Northeast Ohio for the MAC tournament. And so looking ahead for Bobcats this weekend, what's coming up? Yeah, so like I said about the non-conference play, uh, they play Canisius in a doubleheader. I'm going to really enjoy this. I know a lot of baseball people like uh, doubleheaders. They're going to be two nine-inning games, so that's 18 innings of baseball. It's going to be a great day at Bob Wren. It's supposed to be in the 80s. Um, so Canisius is a good team. They're, they're usually at the top of their conference. They've made the uh, regionals in the NCAA tournament. So that's a team that's going to come into Athens and give the Bobcats a good test. Obviously, it won't mean... But yeah, talking with uh, Craig Moore this week, he said that Canisius is comparable to a lot of teams in the MAC. Uh, you know... Very competitive, uh, so it's going to be a good test for the Bobcats. And he said that there's going to be a lot of the normal guys that you'd see in a normal Mac series that are going to play, so it's going to be a great test for them. Obviously, it's going to be huge for them to hopefully take both games heading into uh, heading into Mac play to finish things off. But, uh, you know, obviously with this being my final outlet, I just want to say it's been great uh, covering any sport at Ohio, but the Ohio baseball team has meant a little bit more to me just because, uh, you know, I've had a really close relationship with uh, Craig Moore. Uh, always great interviewing him. Always great interviewing the players. He's always been great with the media in general. Um, so, you know, even though I won't be here, I'll continue to be following Bobcats baseball, especially that team along, uh, just because, you know, it's a great a great team and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do and I wish them all the best. But obviously there's other sports that I enjoy talking about and I wish every other sport the best. And on the note of other sports, tell me just a little bit about how Ohio softball's been. So, yeah, last time we talked, we were kind of talking about looking ahead to the Central Michigan series. Well, they played the Central Michigan series, and, you know, as I was mentioning, they were on a hot streak, and they continue to be on a hot streak. Um, They took two of three from the Chippewas. They won the opener on Friday, uh, 7-2. And then Saturday was a twin bill. They lost the first game but came back, and that second game, the final game of the series was – Absolutely dramatic. The Bobcats are up 5-1 to one heading into the sixth inning, and then the Chippewas chipped away and made 5-3 to three heading into the seventh. And then in the seventh, they ended up taking the lead with a three-run homer. But, you know, we know this Ohio softball team. It's a team that never gives up. We've seen them rally before late, so what do they do? Megan McMenemy has been solid all year. She hit her third home run in as many games uh, to tie the game at six, and then, you know, Caitlin Fogue ended up hitting a walk-off two-run homer. Just an absolutely electric atmosphere. And as we know, on the uh, 
broadcast call. There was popcorn absolutely flying everywhere. Uh, shout out to Carl Blaylock on that one. Uh, great call. I'm sure our viewers uh, seen that on social media somewhere. But uh, yeah, and then this past week, the Bobcats played uh, Kent State. They were supposed to play on Tuesday, but that game got canceled because, you guessed it, the weather. I think it was snowing up there, which was kind of ridiculous for April. Uh, but, you know, and then on uh, Wednesday, they ended up taking both games against the Golden Flashes, 7-6 uh, the first game, and then 7 nothing in the second game. Um, so just continue what I'm saying about this team. They are on fire right now, uh, currently 13-6 and in the MAC, which is, you know, there's a good chance they're going to make the top four heading into the MAC tournament. But this weekend, they got a big one against Northern Illinois. Uh, towards the bottom of the standings, uh, the Huskies are, so... Um, Hopefully it's a good series for the Bobcats. Uh, take two or three, if not sweep it, because this momentum, there's only a few weeks left in the softball season, seven games remaining. Uh, get any win you can, because once you get in the tournament play, it's do or die. And this is a team, I've seen the offense, they got solid pitching in Mackenzie Cole uh, and Kylie Kofelt. Uh, this could be a team that if they are on in a tournament, they could be winning the whole thing and heading into the NCAA tournament like they did a few years ago. And, you know, the same thing goes for baseball. So baseball, softball, it's going to be an exciting next few weeks here for both of them. It absolutely is. Well, for one final time, thank you for joining me, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always been great talking with you here on the outlet, and uh, I wish you the best of luck in the future. The stories you hear on the outlet each week are done by some incredibly talented reporters. As the host and producer, I've loved working with every single one of them, whether they are a one-story wonder or they're on every week. I want to thank them for all their time. It is an honor working with all of you folks. However, it is time for many of them to move on to bigger and better things after their time here at WOUB. So it is my pleasure to present to you the goodbyes of the Outlet Senior Class of 2022. Hello, I am Julia Howell. After four years of working at WUB as a digital producer, television producer, camera operator, and more, I am both happy and sad to leave. Happy to start a new journey full of the knowledge and skills WUB has given me, but sad to depart from a place that has meant so much and always made me grow. Thank you to every person who was a part of my time at WUB. From the smiling faces in the hallway to the supportive team members cheering on every promotion or achievement I had. I've been lucky. For those who are younger, take advantage of every opportunity and learn every role. You will be better for it. In the fall, I will be going to law school with a focus on First Amendment law, with the eventual goal of becoming a lawyer for a media agency so I can help defend journalists doing the really hard work. You can follow me on Twitter at JuliaHowell underscore. For the last time, I'm Julia Howell for The Outlet. I've been working on The Outlet for around a year now. And it's just been a blast to be a part of. It feels really weird that my time is now coming to a close after four years. But it's been a solid year to work on the outlet with Taylor. And Taylor and I have had some fond memories covering city council, any of the stories throughout the summer. It's just been fun. And it just sucks to come to an end. And saying goodbye is tough. But at the end of the day. So I just want to recommend anyone that looking to do radio check out the outlet. It's a great place to get your feet wet. It's been fun. It's definitely been real. And, you know, I'm excited to keep up with the outlet next year. So for that, I'm Nick Veland for the outlet, and I'll be going to WRDW in Augusta, Georgia.
I wanted to say a quick thank you to all the listeners and also all my coworkers here at WOUB. The last four years working here, putting stories both on television, in the web, and then for the outlet has been probably my favorite experience at college. I've enjoyed every second I've spent here. My advice to any student who comes here would be get involved in something, find something you love, and really spend some time doing it. This last year is, is when I really started doing Newswatch, and I have to say covering the community, talking to people in Athens, all that is going to be something I cherish forever. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, and thank you to everyone here as well. For the outlet, I'm Will Price, and I'm going to be at Terre Haute working as an MMJ at a television station in Indiana. Thank you. I wanted to thank everybody at the weather team for WOUB, especially Aaron Ashley and Cam Cousineau, who have been great working with even during severe weather week, winter weather week, and even during the winter storm that moved through Athens in early February. Without them, I don't know where I would be because with all of them, it's just been really easy to get weather done, make forecasts with them, and make stories with them. It's been a lot of fun, and I also want to thank everybody that I worked with on Newswatch. It's been a very, very supportive team. I'm Henry Groff for The Outlet, and I'll be going to WTAP in Parkersburg, West Virginia, where I will be the weekend meteorologist. Thank you. What WAUB means to me is truly the people at WAUB. That is what makes WAUB, in my opinion. And any advice I would give is truly just don't be afraid to come out of your shell because we are all here to learn and we are all here to create that bond to help create these amazing shows. Everyone here is here to work and to also make friends in the industry and to find their passion. So never be afraid to come out of your shell and really get to know people at WAB because honestly, they will be some of the best people you ever meet. And I am so fortunate that I get to call this group of people my friends. From the outlet, I'm Benjamin Byers. Hello, I'm Brian Kerp. Uh, I've been a sports director here at WAB the past two years, but I've had the privilege of working here for all four years covering sports and some of my favorite memories were going out to a bunch of different games, whether that's high school football or any OU athletics. Uh, you know, each game was its own story, and I truly enjoyed working with a bunch of different people. But what I'm really going to cherish is the, uh, you know, the family atmosphere the newsroom had. Uh, you know, anytime I had a rough day, rough week, I knew I could go in there and people in there put a smile on my face. Um, so that's something I'll always remember, and uh, I'm looking forward to continue to give back to WAB, even though I won't be here in Athens. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, our future sports directors, Aiden Crowley and Maria Manessi, are able to do, to do, as well as the rest of the team. So it's going to be really exciting. Uh, for one final time, I'm Brian Kirk for the Outlet, and I will be going to WEWS in Cleveland as an associate producer. So I'm looking forward to that. So I started WOUB Public Media even before school started. It was a J School pizza lunch, and I was able to connect with the professors, and I knew from then that I wanted to join WOUB and that I would be successful. For the current students that are still left behind me, I would say, 
please get involved with every aspect of the newsroom, even if you already know a particular niche that you want to go into. Meaning, if you know you want to be an anchor, you know you want to be a reporter, or you know you want to be behind the scenes doing producing, camera operator, or technical <clears throat> director. Um, but yeah, just immersing yourself into the newsroom and just making sure that you know at least the gist of everything will make you much more well-rounded when trying to land a job. Um, so after my post, I mean, after post-graduation, I will be moving back home to Georgia, but my job will be in Albany, Georgia with WALB um, TV, which is owned by Gray. Um, so it's nice to be welcomed back home with three hours shy of Atlanta. Um, I'm Fallon Howard for The Outlet, and thanks. It's hard to find the words to convey what WOUB public media means to me. From the turquoise-colored RTV newsroom to behind the Newswatch anchor desk, the last four years have been full of laughs, tears, and so many memories in between. A sincere thank you to everyone I've gotten to work with at WOUB and also to the Athens and Southeast Ohio communities. I've felt beyond lucky to cover stories in this beautiful region and I will miss it immensely, so thank you. For The Outlet, I'm Sarah Donaldson and I'm headed to the West Coast to San Francisco where I will cover technology for the Wall Street Journal. Over the past four years, WOUB has been my home. The people here are like family to me and I'm so grateful for everyone I've met at RTV. I've discovered my love of producing here and I've grown immensely as a person and a journalist. I'm going to miss joking around with my friends in the newsroom and singing in people's IFBs. I will miss everyone so much and I say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. For the outlet, I'm Zenovia Chris and I'm going to be a producer at WCNC in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at newswatch underscore woub. We'll be back this summer with more content from Southeast Ohio.